Welcome to Devotions in the Deep End. I'm Cam Buchanan, and this is a carefully crafted devotional journey through the New Testament. Let's venture into deeper water as we consider what it means to follow Jesus in the world we live in now. Welcome back to Devotions in the Deep End. In recent episodes, we've been looking at a series of statements from Jesus called Beatitudes, with the last one being about the blessed life we have, even in the face of persecution. And from what Jesus is saying there, it's a case of when, not if, when it comes to followers of Jesus experiencing this. It seems inevitable that we'll be challenged about our faith, but the rewards for standing strong in the face of those things will be truly great. And even though it appears to be inevitable, it also looks like Jesus still expects us to put ourselves out there despite this being the case. With this in mind, the Sermon on the Mount continues. In this episode, we'll look at a few verses that help wrap up the Beatitudes before Jesus switches gears and starts speaking into other things. I'm going to read first from Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. So someone who follows Jesus is like salt to the world. It's interesting to note that Jesus uses this analogy of followers and saltiness in a number of places. In Mark chapter 9, some of the teaching that resembles the Sermon on the Mount is noted there. In that account, Jesus' words are recorded like this. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with each other. Here, among other things, saltiness speaks into interpersonal relationships and unity in Christ's kingdom expression. It reminds us of the purifying work the Holy Spirit does in us and the different people we become as a result. And this is to be evident in the way we conduct ourselves. In Luke chapter 14, we read of Jesus calling others to count the cost of following him. And in that context, we read these now familiar words. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. We often use the example in Matthew to speak of what we call mission, the idea being that the salt of the gospel that is contained within us is to make its way out of the shaker. The flavor of who we are is to be an enhancing presence in the world around us. To a degree, this makes great sense because it comes immediately after persecution. Persecution has at times been known to be initiated in response to mission. Christians believe the gospel of Jesus is truly good news but history has shown us the audience doesn't always agree with that. But this idea of saltiness, when taken as a whole idea across the Gospels, has a wider appeal, that the saltiness we have comes as a result of all the Beatitudes clearly at work within us. Saltiness in this thinking is therefore all about our distinct character as people of Christ's kingdom way. It speaks not just of the saltiness of a missional action, but the intense flavor experience that comes when our kingdom lives fire on all cylinders, when our demonstration of the kingdom of God as Jesus described it, is equal to our announcement. In other words, our character is equal to the Christian claims we make. 
In ancient Israeli markets, you could buy really good salt. But there was also stuff available that had no real flavor to it as well. Interestingly, they both came from the same location, the Dead Sea. Even today, the salt that comes from this region is highly sought after. But you have to get the stuff from the top of the stack that evaporates first to be any good. If you get the stuff at the bottom of the salt pan, which was mingled with gypsum and other minerals, it was nowhere near as salty, and apparently it's quite a disappointing substance. Jesus is telling us here that disciples of him and people of his kingdom are to embrace a life that has a flavor that stands out. A Christian's life is supposed to, by its very nature, season the world around them. They cause the world to sit up and take notice of what it is they are bringing to the table. And they should be able to do this to some degree just by turning up and being present. A salty Christian is simply you being you in the best possible way. You walking in the power of Jesus and his spirit. It's more than simply going out and telling our story to those who don't know it yet. That's an essential element for sure, but it also has to do with the way the whole kingdom way is lived out by those who follow Jesus. In the context of the Sermon on the Mount, this strong salty flavor is present and pleasantly lingers as the Beatitudes are infused into our being. When we are poor in spirit, we get salty as we become more aware of this new kingdom we are now part of. When we mourn our poorly and sinful state, we get salty as we lean into the comfort of the Spirit in our lives. When we embrace humility and meekness, we get salty with a perspective that there is a greater inheritance to come than anything in this world. When we crave righteousness in all its expressions, we get salty as we are filled with the Spirit. When we show mercy, we get salty with our revelation of God's mercy towards us. When we pursue purity, we get salty by knowing God's presence and figurative face. When we live as peacemakers, no matter how uncomfortable that might be, we get salty by being children of the great reconciler. And when we endure persecution, we get salty again in the realization that the new kingdom is more about who we are than this temporal one. A life like that might repel some, but there can be no doubt about the seasoning it produces around us. If any of that stuff drops off or dissipates, we then start losing our edge, our salty zing. Salt without the zing that came with it was then, and still is to this day, discarded rather quickly. In the same way, Jesus tells us people claiming to follow him, but live with no regard for the kingdom way that the Beatitudes point to, well, they are dismissed out of hand by the world around them just as quick. I'd like to keep reading a little more here. Let me read verses 14 to 16. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Someone who follows Jesus is also like light to the world around them. Light is a major way Jesus describes himself and is described by others. We see an example of both of these in John's gospel. Jesus says this in John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Earlier in the gospel, John makes this assessment of the ministry of Jesus. I'm reading from John chapter 3, verses 19 to 21. 
This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Followers of Jesus look to him and his kingdom as the way of truth. We live out the Beatitudes as truth worthy of putting our whole lives into, even though it flows against the values and the opinions of the world. And as we lean into this truth of Jesus, something refreshing and transformative takes place in us. John's Gospel tells us that Jesus is light to the world. Here, Jesus tells us that through identification with his ways, we become light to the world also. This idea is captured again by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 5. He says this, You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Note here, it doesn't say you were in or around light or darkness, but you were darkness and now you are light. He goes on to say this, Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. Salt may at times be a subtle thing. Using it just a little bit can sometimes be enough to make a food item that little bit better. By the same token, a salty kingdom life is often expressed in subtlety. It's often expressed in our characters more than what we directly say. And as a result, some people around us will notice and ask, what exactly is it that makes you different to what I see in others? Good character, and in particular good Christian character as described in the Beatitudes, can be a distinct and exciting flavor to the world around us, which in contrast is not seasoned as well as it should be. But light, as Jesus and the apostles describe it here, is not so subtle. A city on a hill is a pretty unsubtle way to describe the sort of expression Jesus is going for here. There is in fact a town not far from where Jesus preached this sermon, which is known to us as Saifed. At 900 meters above sea level, it is the most elevated city in all of Galilee, and it has a reputation of being visible both day and night. It currently sits at more than 30,000 people, but it was, of course, much smaller back then. In the days before Christ, there is evidence that suggests this was one of five elevated locations where fires were lit to announce the new moon and various Jewish festivals. Some have suggested the idea of a city on a hill may have come from the example that Saifed set. Whether this is the case or not, the idea from Jesus seems pretty clear. Being light means being visible. Salt can be subtle and therefore an expression of our character. But light is open. It's uncovered and should be positioned for widespread, where it even swallows up the darkness around it. And the best way for this Jesus-styled light to be expressed in a Christian is shown to us at the end of this verse. It is very clearly displayed in our conduct, in our good deeds. Because we are salt, we have good characters that reflect the Beatitudes. And because we are light, we exhibit behaviors that also clearly reflect those Beatitudes. We openly show how poor in spirit we once were if it weren't for the saving work of Christ. 
and we openly lead others to this same realization. We display humility and meekness because we are empowered by the knowledge of our greater inheritance. Life now is not the competition that others seem to make it. We have an appetite for righteousness in all its forms, which spills over into our public faith expression. We know who we are in Jesus, and we seek to be agents of righteousness in the power of the Spirit. We behave in merciful ways towards others, and we become known for pure motives in all that we do. This is because we've been in God's tangible presence, and we know God's mercy firsthand. We take an active role where reconciliation is needing to be found. We operate as peacemakers rather than be passive peacekeepers. We want to live up to the image of the reconciling Savior we know. And this is probably going to be the biggest one at times. We faithfully and prayerfully stand when persecution comes our way, because nothing in this life compares with what is still yet to come. Are you seeing the pattern here yet? Salt and light is directly related to the Beatitudes. It's all about the way we allow these statements of blessing from Jesus to make their way into our character first and then our conduct. And the result is a journey of discipleship that makes a tangible difference in the world around us. A good salty character brings flavor to a world that has become quite dull and bland through its sinful outlooks. If you be you in the spirit as much as you can, you will leave a refreshing zing everywhere you go. Your salty character, fueled by the Beatitudes, will leave a great impression. And good, salty conduct will cause some around you to even glorify God. If your character is poor, you won't leave that sort of impression. But if your character is salty, your conduct will light things up all around you. And this light will be the light of Christ himself. People will not be able to ignore that. We're now going to move on from the Beatitudes. And this verse on salt and light has helped us do that. There's some very different stuff coming from the next episode onwards, and I can't wait to share that with you. But for now, we're going to close this episode with a word of prayer. Jesus, help me to be salt and light as you see it. Help me to apply all the Beatitudes to both my character and my conduct. Help me to season the world around me with the character traits you call me to embrace. I pray that others will notice even the subtle differences in me because of a character that reflects your ways. And I pray that your power in my life will cause me to live a clearly different life to the world around me, a life that is transformed into light, a life that is transformative to the world around me. I now see the tremendous value of the Beatitudes. Help me to embrace them fully in both my conduct and my character. And may the saltiness and the light of my life as a result only get stronger and stronger. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. To stay in touch, like our devotions in the Deep End Facebook page and subscribe on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I look forward to catching up next time.